Welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. Today's guest is Chris Clearman, founder of Matador. They specialize in packable outdoor travel and adventure gear. They have really, really amazing stuff. I use it. I love it. Chris, thank you for coming on the show and welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, why don't you let the uh, AOV community know a little bit more about yourself, Chris? What about me? Uh, we're based in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, we live and work here in beautiful uh, Rocky Mountains. We get out and test our gear here all the time. Great place to be. Uh, I'm personally 31 years old. Um, I've been at this for about four years. Uh, my background was product design, college degree in industrial design, and uh, previously worked for a power tools company and, and GoPro, the uh, camera maker, uh, designing a lot of products for them. And uh, actually started this company. It was uh, bootstrapped and uh, started at Moonlighting while I was at GoPro. So I did about a year and a half working at night to get this off the ground and was able to leave that, do this full time, at which point I moved to Boulder, started hiring people and grew it from there. So it's been a fun ride. Dude, that's awesome. I was always curious as to why you guys moved to Boulder. Well, it was one of those things where I wanted to get out of California, just too much traffic, cost of living's too high, there's too many people getting in your way when you want to hit the trails or do anything. And I had never actually been to Boulder. And my girlfriend said she had just finished a business trip here and we were thinking of places to move. I mean, it, anywhere in the world was fair game. She's like, you should, you'd probably love Boulder. We should go check it out. So that weekend, I flew out here and found a few uh, Craigslist posts online for office spaces for rent and just ended up seeing this perfect building in a perfect location. And Boulder was such a perfect, amazing little town. And I just leased it on the spot. I hadn't even put in my notice at my old job yet. So I leased it, went back and put in my two weeks at GoPro. And then uh, two weeks later, took off to Boulder. So, Dude, that's amazing. So where were you guys? So where was GoPro based out of? GoPro's in San Mateo, which is just uh, south right. on the peninsula, just south of San Francisco. Okay, gotcha. So I guess from one expensive place to another. Yeah, right. from the, <laughs> like the most expensive to like the third most. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's why I was more curious about. I'm like, it doesn't seem like, I mean, granted, I know Boulder has like quite the startup scene. It's just, yeah, it's just interesting to me. I was like, huh, Boulder of all places. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense, really I guess. Only you can really only feel like Boulder's cheap when you're coming from San Francisco. So yeah, <laughs> it seemed like a deal at the time. That's awesome. So why don't you let us know a little bit more about like your hobbies and like what you do? Cause I'm curious as to, you know, like what got you, what inspired you, you know, to start Matador up or to start Matador, excuse me. Mm -hmm. So I've always like, like my hobby honestly is, is, is business. And I was a product designer, but I was always really intrigued by the business aspect of it, you know, and I felt like I wanted to run that myself. I just wanted to be more involved in that side. And uh, I started, like I said, I started the company while I had the other job and kind of grew it that way. But it originally started as a, um, as the pocket blanket. And it was just, that was the only product we had. And it kind of went viral online. Um, but I didn't want to be a blanket company. I had this passion for travel and passion for outdoors, that kind of thing. So I ended up morphing it. It's like, do we have this packable blanket? Do we want to like, we could probably continue to grow this as like a blanket brand, but that's just so boring. So I just went with my passion, which was traveling outdoors. The blend of that is kind of adventure travel where you're like 
doing outdoorsy stuff while you're on the road and ended up morphing it into this adventure travel brand focused on packable gear. And we've just kind of maintained that focus because it's a niche that no other brands really focus on and they don't do a great job of it. Like I think a lot of people do it and they don't do it well. And we've been able to come in, focus on it, do it well, really serve the customer a good product and make a lot of ground up in that in that category. So that's why we've stayed focused on the the packable the packable aspect of it. I love it. You guys have done an amazing job. I'm not I'm I'm a really honest and, and transparent person as most of our listeners know. And I'm not gonna lie, when when Kyle first reached out and I got my hands on some Matador gear about two years ago, I didn't really know like what to think because it was so different <laughs> from the other stuff I've gotten, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was so packable and small and I was just like, I don't know, is this like just like some cheap stuff or like what is this stuff? And it wasn't until I was like on our road trip, I think we were shooting like a seven day, like four spot, 30 second spot campaign for Olo Clip on the Oregon coast. And I don't know how much time you spent in the PNW, but it's like constantly like raining and hit or miss mm-hmm. with the weather and and so I had a bunch of, you know, I just grabbed all the Matador stuff that Kyle sent and I threw it in the, in the truck and I was like, told the team, I'm like, Hey, I got a, you know, a bunch of random stuff back there. So if you guys need stuff, like, <laughs> I don't know, just grab it. And dude, your guys's gear was like a lifesaver on this trip because we had so much, we dealt with so much rain and being able to just grab like one of the 30 liter bags and just like toss some of our gear and some of our essentials and things we needed that we couldn't get wet because of like our duder and our actual hiking bags, you know, weren't waterproof or someone didn't have a rain fly or whatever it was. Um, there was times when we were in the snow and being able to use the, uh, what do you guys call that? Where the, the, the piece that the camera goes into Oh, the camera base layer, the camera base layer, like, being able to like keep my camera a little warmer and like keep it out of the elements like came in like such handy the droplet waterproof bag I was like just like after that trip I realized like why your guys' stuff was so awesome and then even more recently I went to London about a month ago and you know traveling internationally it gets expensive when you're checking multiple bags and of course mm-hmm. i wanted to buy some things in london but i didn't want to check an extra suitcase and spend another 80 bucks or whatever there and back so 160 dollars. so i just grabbed my matador up duffel bag and of course like it you know it folds down to nothing and i just stuck it in my suitcase and then when i got there i had another duffel that i could bring a bunch more stuff back from london and so yeah love your guys' stuff so at first glance, I was like, really just like, what is this stuff? And then <laughs> afterwards, I'm just like, dude, it's so useful. And like you, like you guys have done such a great job, like just creating these products, making them quality and just being really thoughtful and purposeful with like the use case, uh, the use cases for these, because I've had them just come in handy in so many different ways. Yeah. I, I love that story. I really appreciate that. Cause we hear it, we hear it pretty often and there's, this, this divide, people ask, you know, they're like, well, you meet them at wherever, a restaurant or the gym. I'm like, what do you do? And like, oh, I have this travel brand. And, and some people, it, it, about half people, it just clicks. They're like, oh, I totally needed that on my last trip. And then some people just don't, they, they're like, why would anybody need that? They don't, they don't get it. But it comes down to experience. And I think if you've been on these trips and you've needed these products, you get it right away. And we build them out of experience. Like when I started this, I was traveling a lot. Uh, it was a huge... Uh, 
passion of mine and it still is I, I need to get out more now but uh it was on those trips where like I had gear that was just packable gear that I really wanted to work and it was failing me or it was ripping or stuff was getting wet inside I'm like this we can do better than this like this can be improved so yeah it's definitely it's definitely the experience that that makes that story hit home and makes some consumers understand it versus versus not yeah. I mean, even the towel, dude, like I was up in the Sawtooth Mountains. We have the Sawtooth Mountain Range here in Idaho and it's beautiful. And, you know, before I got my, my nano, my nanofiber towel from you guys, I used to have to like pack like a massive towel and like, you don't realize, <laughs> you don't realize how heavy and big and how much space towels take up until like you're trying to like squish a towel into like a backpack along with water and snacks and your camera equipment and all this other stuff. And you're like, dude, I can't take this towel. And so yeah, your guys' towel, dude, your guys' towel is like another lifesaver. And I even hiked, I even, I got in the water, I dried off with it. And then I just wrapped it around my waist, like the Samoans do in Hawaii. And I just finished, <laughs> nice. dude, I just finished my hike that way. I'm like, dude, this thing is great. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. So, it, uh, it cleaned up my gym bag, but I reduced it by about half, you know? Dude, absolutely. So you're talking about you love traveling. Uh, what are some of the favorite places you've been to? Uh, hands down, my favorite spot was just the Sacred Valley in Peru. Like, yeah, it's Machu Picchu is kind of outside there, but um, like Cusco and the surrounding towns, you're up like what is it, ten thousand feet, and it's just a it's just an amazing valley. And it seems like there's a lot of tourism that happens there, but you almost can't tell. It's really authentic, and it's very much like going back in time before it was kind of uh, contrived and molested by tourists. And it's just a it's just a great place to be with really nice, genuine people. A lot of people still dress traditionally, especially the older generation. And you have these buildings made out of like thousand like giant boulders that were carved by these people a thousand years ago, and then that's the foundation and another time that fell down. So they just built like the rest of the building out of brick on top of it, you know, 30 years ago, it's just this amazing juxtaposition between kind of new and old and it's an incredible place. So that's, that's definitely a trip I've never been able to, uh, to top to date, but nice. What's uh what's one of the, the wildest things that has ever happened to you on one of your travel adventures? All right. So I went to Cambodia. My idea was to fly in to Cambodia and I was going to ride a dirt bike. I rented a dirt bike, ride the dirt bike all the way across the country to the, uh, to Angkor Wat, to the temples up there, check them out, ride it back. And Google maps was telling me this was going to be like a three or four hour ride. It turns out it's like a 12 hour ride <laughs> when, you're, when you're hauling, when you're going like 80 miles an hour on these and all the roads are dirt and there's like elephants popping out on the side. So I get about six hours in and I just have this X Honda XR250 just pinned the whole way. And um, it starts to, there's no, there's no therm thermometer on it. It starts to overheat and the engine seizes and just locks up in the middle of nowhere, Cambodia. And I was just stranded. There's nobody that has, uh, you know, your cell phone doesn't work. Nothing works. There's nobody there that has any form of phone or anything. And it, it spent like a couple of days digging myself out of that hole. Fortunately, I saw some, uh, some locals and uh, nobody spoke English, but this one young guy, he was probably 16. He just kind of like adopted me and helped me. He towed me with his scooter, like probably 50 miles to the nearest town and helped me 
he found the one guy in the village that had a cell phone. So this guy's entire job was to walk around having a cell phone and people would pay him like little bits of money to make a call. And uh, he was the only guy that had one. So I was able to call the rental place and have them like, this, this is like a multi-day procedure and, and have them like ride up a new bike for me to, for me to grab. And then, yeah, later in that trip, I ended up getting like near death sick on a deserted island I had boated out to and like couldn't get any help out there and ended up with a fever of like 107 and got treated in a hospital with a dirt floor. And it was it was crazy. That trip was, it was awesome, but it was also a total disaster, but I'll never forget it. That's for sure. Dude, you've had some, you've had, you've been on some, some adventures. Let's just say that. Good for you, man. You've overcome some, <laughs> some, <laughs> I'm glad you're still here with us. You've overcome a few, yeah. few close calls. It sounds like, uh, you into photography or anything at all? I am. Yeah. That's how we actually ended up having the uh, photography products, the camera base layer, lens base layer in our line. I got into photography right when I started uh, traveling, actually, because, you know, I went on this trip and I had this crappy point and shoot. I took all these pictures. Um, I also had a GoPro, the original GoPro Hero, the first Hero edition. This is before I ever worked there. And um, just took a bunch of photos and they all like came back and they all kind of sucked. So like I got to get a better camera and like figure out how to do this for real. So I started doing that uh, a little more as a hobby and then uh, needed some gear. So I ended up building it myself and then other people wanted it. So I was like, we'll just make this a product. But we ended up rolling that into the product line. But yeah, definitely into it a little bit. Not like uh, as a as a pro or anything like that. I don't really post my work for other people. I'll make uh, little books, like uh, Shutterfly books of different trips, like different countries and that kind of thing for my own use. But Nice. That's awesome. That's good to hear. How do you guys go about, I'm just curious, like how do you guys test your products? That's funny. I was actually just testing one right before this call and my butt's still wet. We were testing this new, this new fabric to see. I, man, our testing ranges from like, from lab testing, which is really boring to literally just going out and using it. And then there's other times we do ridiculous stuff. Like what I was just doing is in there, I had a wet towel on the couch and I had the fabric laying on the wet towel and I was sitting on it to see how wet my butt got. So <laughs> I find sometimes like the lab testing just doesn't actually work. It doesn't show you what you need to know. Conditions are different. Like your body generates heat and you have pants on that are breathable. And if you try to mimic this in a lab, you end up missing some key detail and you've just got to test it in real life. So we do things like our bags, we'll load them down with, we'll like fill them with bags full of water and have one of our ambassadors is this ridiculous uh, two-time Ironman guy. We'll have him go run up one of the local mountains called Sanitas and down with it. Another pack like the Beach 28 in development, it's, it's only a 28 liter pack. And for a four day hike, for a four day backpacking trip, you'd usually carry like a 60 to 70 liter pack. Um, but I took that on a on a four a four day three night trip in the pouring rain just that pack and uh it was a it was a miserable trip but the bag did great so basically we just put them through as much hell as we can in both like real life and some kind of laboratory setting testing but dude i love hearing that i could i could tell that's the reason i asked i could tell that you guys were testing your products like uh i i very much so believe in like the not to say that Yvonne Chouinard coined this philosophy uh, from Patagonia, but uh, I really like how, you know, the way that they test their products is like, yeah, we just 
give it to the athletes and mm-hmm. we tell them to just do their thing and let us know like how they're ge- using the gear because oftentimes people use your gear differently than you even intended it to be used and it's nice to know what other use cases are available out there that you just weren't aware of and second like you said like in the lab you can only do so much you don't realize that a bag can do xyz until you're hiking in nature and something happens and you realize like oh like the bag came in handy for me to i was able to climb a tree because it was strong (laughs) enough you know to latch onto something or whatever it might be and so and your guys is I've, I've I've had other companies send me products before. Dude, some of these companies, I I swear they they send me products and I look at them and I use them and I'm like, I don't think they actually use this stuff, or I don't think yeah. they've ever tested it because like I'm like this stuff just doesn't plain out work at all. Like, it doesn't even <laughs> make sense, and it just looks good, but that's about it. And so uh, I always appreciate it when companies you know put more time and effort into R and D and working with ambassadors and and people and things like that to make sure their products have a fit for a market and 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 do speak to the community and actually provide real life value. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's um, one key difference in our company and a lot of others is that you know we were started myself as a product designer. And uh, the other person, the first person who was involved in this helping me was also a product designer. So you have basically two product designers starting this company and it just makes it very product centric, design centric and user centric as opposed to like margin and profit centric. You know what I mean? It's a different, it's kind of a different take on it. And I think if you take care of the customer and make a good product, the the numbers will take care of themselves in the end is what it seems like. Uh, but it's definitely it's definitely kind of how we approach things. What are you guys doing? So obviously, you guys you guys create products for a specific market of people. What do you guys do as a brand to like help empower that lifestyle? And that's a that's a really good question. I think the products themselves kind of empower that lifestyle, and and that we're we're building gear that that doesn't fail when you're out there. It's going to keep your stuff dry. It's going to last through the trip, and it's going to do what you what you bought it to do, um, which is when a product lets you down and you're like in the middle of Cambodia with a busted motorcycle, like it's just so disheartening. So I think, I think the products themselves do that. And also just like working, working with these ambassadors, you know, we've, we've enabled some of these people to become, you know, through our help and our support and sponsorship and that kind of thing. We've enabled some of these people to like live their dream. You know, we don't necessarily do it like from a full-time perspective, but there's uh, a lot of people who now are like professional photographers. They've left their day job and they have a couple of these companies like us supporting them. And they're like really promoting this lifestyle of kind of minimalism, not having a lot of possessions instead of having a lot of adventures and uh, just kind of pushing that out to the public. So like you said, it's, it's really cool that there's creators now that are able to, you know, to work with multiple brands at a time and, and, and make enough money to basically just go travel the world and, and do their thing. And that's really beautiful and, and really exciting and, and cool to see. What do you guys look for as a brand? You know, like I always have creators coming to me asking me like, you know, uh, what are brands looking for in this and that? And so, uh, you know, what are you guys looking for when it comes to working with influencers and creators and different people like that? That's a good question. And Kyle could probably speak more to that. But I know the the primary thing we're looking for is somebody who's really going to kind of have that give and take relationship. So 
the relationship is like we kind of we support them on their travels we support them like it may be financially it may be with product it may be you know sending them something they need while they're overseas like all the support we can provide and we also we also push their personal brand and that's that means a lot to some people and that doesn't mean as much to others but we're looking for somebody who's going to appreciate the support that we provide and then is also going to provide us with a little bit of support as well you know with product testing and feedback and maybe some just some good lifestyle photos of our products while they're out there um, and maybe even post about the brand here and there but generally we look for like to get down to brass tacks we the sweet spot is people with 30,000 to 200,000 followers and people that are really like passionate about what they're doing and that can be a variety of things but generally if they're passionate about what they're doing and you can help them do what they want to do and get their message out then they're going to be passionate about your brand and that's what you really look for you don't want a bunch of people with like half a million followers that kind of don't give you the time of day and you send them a pack and they don't test it for eight months there's really it seems to be that sweet spot where they're like they have a following, but it's not huge. They're going to be appreciative of the support and we can provide them with enough support that it matters to them. So, Right. <clears throat> okay. That makes sense. So with your guys' company, uh, you know, nowadays most companies are like BC backed or whatever, whatever, you know, have different types of funding sources. Uh, you guys have a really cool story and I think that's something worth, you know, worth talking about because I think it allows your brand to have a little more soul and more empathy and a lot of different things that a company that took, you know, venture capital would just wouldn't be able to do because at that mm -hmm. point it, it's, it's all about the numbers. So yeah. Why don't you talk about how you guys kind of bootstrap the company and why you guys chose to go that route? I think it's cool. Yeah. I, I like this story too. So I mentioned that I started this while I was working my corporate job. I started it on $11,000 that I'd saved just from the day job. And, uh, was able to uh, turn that over over and over again just by having good product, repeat customers, word of mouth, that kind of thing. And um, ultimately, we didn't, we haven't had to take any funding to this point. You know, we're uh, the company's been profitable since we started selling product in the beginning. And I think always looking at the numbers and being like frugal with the management, making sure things are working, cutting what's not working. We've been able to keep it that way. And the the cool thing about it is that. Uh, we don't have anybody breathing down our necks. We don't have any numbers we have to hit and we don't have to listen to anyone. So with no investors, we have no outside influence. We can just decide to make some ridiculous product if we think it's cool and nobody can say no. We can, you know, we can adopt 30 ambassadors and support them in their travels because we think it's awesome and nobody can say that doesn't make sense. It's just, it just lets us do what we want to do and kind of execute our vision without anybody getting in the way, which is really I think really unique, especially now, you just don't see, it's very old school. Like that's what I hear when we talk to people, they're like, wow, that seems like really old school, which is funny that like running a profitable company is now <laughs> old school, but I just think that's what companies should be. So yeah, that's, that's the story. And I think it does give the brand a different twist. You know, it's not, it doesn't, I don't think we feel like we have big money behind us because we don't. And uh, I think also there's that extra level of, of authenticity that hopefully shines through. Dude, I love that. I think it's important for people to know that because I think too many people shy away from that and people look at you differently when they know that stuff. You know, someone might look at you one way because they just assume you're some massive venture capital backed company and you probably have 20 employees and all this money and they probably would look at you different if they knew like, hey, actually it's just 
three friends who bootstart, you know, just bootstrapped this and started this in our garage and we just ate potatoes for a year. And now <laughs> here we are. And they're like, Oh, like so much more respect. And they like have a new outlook on your business. And they're like, you know, I thought you guys were huge and had all this money and people. And, and so, yeah, I always love, you know, bootstrap companies. It's always nice to hear their story. And, uh, cause a lot of people don't realize that we're bootstrapped and, I've never really told the story, so I'm going to have a reverse podcast one of these days and have someone awesome. interview me so I can tell the community the story of how we started AOV up. But yeah, very humble, very humble beginnings. And so I always have just a ton of respect for companies like your guys's. With that said, who are some other brands? Uh, there's so many brands, right? Create. There's so many companies creating products now. Who are some brands that you're digging right now that you think are just doing a great job on uh, just the product side, the marketing, just the, the holistic picture? They're just you feel like it's a good company and they're doing great things. It's hard for me. I don't I don't buy that much stuff, to be honest. So there's this company called Gransfors, Gransfors Bruck, and they make these ridiculously nice atches, axes and hatchets. And these are like things that you will literally pass down to your great, great grandkids. They come in, they're like razor sharp, hardened steel. They're literally hand forged. And whoever made them stamps their initials in the side of them. And this is like, this is seriously one of the, fa like the favorite things I own. And I've seen that brand kind of, I'm starting to see them everywhere from like the Fall Raven flagship store to, uh, where did I see one the other day? Like some big outdoor, outdoor store. And it's just, it's cool to see a company that like, started really small just making excellent product with basically no marketing dollars but still some some prowess and intelligence behind the message and just to see them blow up i mean that, that company is over 100 years old i think and just in recent in like the last three years i'm just starting to see them everywhere and i think they're just they're just really owning the product and the branding and and everything's just kind of like coming together to do a really good job that's probably not what you're expecting that's like a very niche brand story but no, I that's think cool. It, I think it's a great one. I thought it was funny just because I, I found like some, this 18 year old kid on Instagram who's a blacksmith and forges axes and, and, and knives and hatchets and they're super nice and they're crazy <laughs> expensive. And I'm looking at buying one. I'm like, dude, this thing is, he makes these hammers and I love stuff like that. Cause I'm like, dude, this is like, if I buy this hammer and this ax, it's like the last hammer and ax I'll ever need to buy. Like that's, yeah. this is lifetime tools. And like, and for me, when I buy tools, I like to buy lifetime tools. I don't like to constantly buy tools. Cause I don't know. I just wasn't raised to buy cheap things. Cause then you just yep. end up repl constantly replacing things. So like, I always grew up just like save up and just buy like quality things. Buy the one you want and buy it once. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a life motto. I think it, it, it's. I feel the same way, and it's it's, pro it's probably why I love that product so much. I don't know. I talk about it more than I should. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about Pendleton, dude. I'm like such a brand advocate. I've been wearing Pendletons for years, and I'm just like, they're just such quality wool shirts, and they just last, and they're always good to go, and. I don't own like any other clothes except for this. I'm like, yeah, all yeah. I need is that. All I need is like seven different Pendletons and I'm good for life. Like, yeah, just... laundry once a week and you're done. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you think social? So, when did you guys start Matador? 2014, like early 2014. Okay, this is cool. So, you've seen obviously like companies pre, I'm not even going to say social media, I'm just going to say pre Instagram. Mm -hmm. How do you think Instagram has helped 
newer brands and companies in the in the last couple of years? And and do you think it's a positive or a negative? I mean, for companies and brands, if you're if you know how to use Instagram, it's a great way to build an audience and show and show your message. That is if you have a message. You know, if you're just like importing you know, you're not doing the design, you're just importing Chinese stuff and slapping a name on it, Instagram's not going to be your friend because people will automatically see, they'll see right through it. You, you try to put out this front and people are going to see that you're not authentic. You're not like living it. You're not, you're not designing this stuff. You're not breathing it. So I think when you do have a good brand message to deliver, it, it gives you the venue to do that. I mean, before you'd have to buy these $100,000 magazine ads to even get a lifestyle photo out into the public's hands. And now you can do it basically for free by building these Instagram, like by building an Instagram account and building up a following and you can get like kind of your tribe behind you, which is, which is cool. It's cool that that, that exists now. It would have been harder for us to build a bootstrap company if we were having to pay a ton of money just to kind of get our, our message out there and get people a feel for the brand. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's really neat to be able to visualize your, tribe your customers your community whatever you want to call it you know i mean depending on the way your business is set up you know for us we look at it as like family and it's really cool like instagram you know pre-instagram you have customer orders you get emails and you see contacts and stuff but you don't see people and then Mm -hmm. instagram you have all these followers and it's like kind of crazy it's like yo these are our, our people like the people following us love our brand and like you know, they may not all be ordering, but there's obviously something that they're, there's some reason why they're following you. And it's really cool just to be able to put these faces to like your tribe, the, you know, the Matador tribe. And that's really, I think it's just really special and was non-existent, you know, before, unless you were a brand that could rally, like had a strong enough brand to where you could do massive live events and have tons of people come out and, and see your, you know, your community in person or your customers. But, uh, so it's really cool. Yeah, that is amazing. It's really cool to just sometimes sit down and see like who's following the brand and go check them out. And, and just to see the variety of people from like, you know, a 65 year old man in Norway to like this 13 year old kid in Taiwan. It, it, it like, it really is a, it's a big range, like bigger range than you'd expect following a brand like ours. And the people commenting and that kind of stuff. It's, like you said, it's really cool to be able to see who that is and get a feel for it. It's also really useful when you're trying to manage a brand to see like what kind of what people are responding to and not in like a contrived way because you want to you want to make your audience happy. You want to make your customer happy. So it's great to be able to get that immediate feedback on like on a photo and or like, oh, I love the new color of this product, that kind of thing. That's, you know, that's yeah. good feedback to be able to get. Oh, yeah. And that feedback loops tight. Like it's quick. It's not like. Quick. It's not like you're waiting two weeks. Okay. Like it's like, like instant, you can post something and within three hours, no, like if we, like if we messed up or if we're good or if they like it or if we need to change the color and that's really, really exciting. And it allows you to go global. Like when else could you like start a business and just be like a global company? Almost, like, <laughs> that's you know, or at least maybe not necessarily a global company, but doing business globally uh, mm-hmm. It's really cool. And Instagram allows you to do that because it's just, you know, it's a global platform and that's really neat. And so with that said, I'm also curious to what you think the future looks like for just retail product companies. Like I personally feel like, you know, coming from, and it's funny cause you're like me, you're coming, you're a person that says you don't buy lots of things. And so coming from a person that doesn't buy lots of things, I think we live in a world to where we're, 
we have an overload of things. And by things, I, I mainly mean junk. Uh, there's just <laughs> yep. a lot of junk. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think the future of just like consumer products and, and things look like? Do you think we're going to go deeper into this like just mess of just stuff everywhere? If it's going to start to thin out and clean up and there's only going to, you know, I don't know, be a few companies selling really good products. Like, I don't know. I think uh, in the past we've had like a lot of, you've had a lot of mega brands because everything was based around your distribution network. It was like, so you'd go to any outdoor retailer and you'd basically see like 20 years ago, you'd see Coleman and maybe like one or two other brands, but Coleman was like this mega brand and they sold everything from like tents to grills to car roof racks. And like, there's nothing you, you could want that Coleman didn't make, but it was all junky stuff. They didn't specialize. And then, now I think that the hard trend um, is niche brands who sell premium product. And I think it's going to go that way even more so than what we've seen now. It's, it's brands with focus and they specialize in one thing um, because I think the younger generation wants, they live more like you and I've been saying where you, you want to buy the one thing and you want to have that for life. You want to get comfortable with it. You want to know it. You want it. You, you, you don't want to buy like six of them and continue to buy junk over and over and over again. So I like to use like a Yeti coolers as a great example. They started, they're like, we're just going to make the most badass cooler ever. And hopefully people will like it. And they did. And people latched onto it. And who would have thought that like $400 would be a normal seeming cooler price ever. They just kind of like changed the entire way the game was played in that industry where it was like a lost leader selling for 30 bucks before. And now it's $400 with like adequate margins across the board and everybody can do like a fair business and manufacture it in a in a kosher way and that kind of thing and uh yeah that's that's what i see i see happening a lot of course a lot of online retail because these niche brands don't have this distribution presence so online retail with uh a lot of a lot of smaller brands and you're going to go to these smaller brands for individual needs i agree i think uh yeah i love where your where your vision's at with with that i think I think we're moving. I think we're already in it. We're smack dab in the middle of the maker economy. Like, like the reality is like the cool kids now are the makers. It's the doers. Mm -hmm. It's the creators. It's the people that are just creating things. And so it's like almost like the digital farmer's market. Like you have the farmer's market in your city, but I see that like growing globally to where it's less mega brands. Like people aren't looking to go to the mega brand to buy things. They're just like, the reality is it's just like there's just tons of these amazing independent people in small companies with, you know, five to ten employees or, you know, two mm -hmm. to ten employees that are creating awesome products and they're feeding their little niche group and everyone's doing this everywhere. And I think it's going to it's going to be beautiful. I think it's going to help decentralize uh, a lot of things and, and help evenly distribute just wealth and and resources and 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 allows people to create things in the right way and i think people will be able to sell their products for a higher premium and 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 get what their products are worth and not have to produce cheap things and mm -hmm. uh yeah so I'm, I'm i'm hoping my fingers are crossed that we move towards you know a more sustainable way of of creating and making things in the future and uh hopefully a lot lighter on the earth's resources and, you know, things like that. Yeah. I think when you have a lot of options, I mean, you can choose, you can choose the brand. Say, say you want to have a buy something that's eco-friendly. Like if there's nine different small companies making it, you can choose the one that suits your requirements. You, you want it made. If you want fair labor, you can pick the one who's like, yeah, we're all fair labor. Here's our test reports, that kind of thing. So 
kind of cool just having all these options and being able to suit like you can vote with your wallet i guess is what i'm getting at you can pick this company when there's a lot of options that represents the way you feel and people just have to remember to support those small brands because i think a lot of times you get much better customer service and oftentimes a better product because if they're if they're really focused on one thing like for example how we're focused entirely on these these small packable bags you're going to get a much better experience than some brand that's like Coleman, for example, who like may actually make one of these, but they probably just went over and found one to stamp their name on it and uh, started importing it. So, right. They looked over and they're like, Oh, these guys are able to sell a bunch of these things. Why don't we just, we have the money and resources. Why don't we just shit out a bag? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they go find some manufacturer in China who's making one already. And they're like, can you put Coleman on this? We'll take a million of them. And that's how it goes. Exactly. And uh, you're so right about seeing right through that stuff. And any, like, especially if someone, I, we also live in a savvy world. Like, you used to be able to get over on consumers pretty easily, like, mm-hmm. before the internet, right? Like, you could. Yeah, you could. You know, Alibaba world, you can just do it all and sell it <laughs> and and make tons of money. And now, like, dude, it's funny. I'll see these new companies come out and I'll see their products. And I instantly am just like, dude, you guys just white labeled that from like, like what you like, and you can just tell, and it's so bad, and 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 people are too educated, you know, nowadays, and people and they're nosy because they have Google. People are just like, I don't know, let me look into these products, and like I do that all the time. Like I'll yeah. literally take someone's product, and I will. My goal is to see if they're making this, and if they're just Alibaba in this product, or if they're <laughs> man, like, or if they're actually like creating this thing. Yeah. Sadly, like seven out of ten times, like I'm just like. Of course, another Alibaba company, another Alibaba yeah. company. And I know you I'm know not what, the only one that does that. Like, you're I, definitely I, not. We, <laughs> we get emails every day about people like, where's this stuff designed? Who's doing it? You know, what are their qualifications? Are they, you know, and it's funny. We're like, no, we're, we're actually pretty, we're actually pretty qualified <laughs> to be as small as we are to make the products. We got a lot of design experience in the room. So yeah, that's, it's fun to be able to have a good answer for that instead of having to try to hide it. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it looks like we're coming to the end of our interview here. Every time I finish up a podcast episode with one of my guests, I normally let them kind of leave. I leave them with parting words for the community. So feel free to share whatever message, whether it's about your personal brand, yourself, whether it's just an over-encompassing message that you'd like to share with the creative, uh, outdoor, adventure, travel community, or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, the floor is yours. just want to encourage people to really, like if you've, if you've never traveled, you should get out there and try it a lot of amazing things and insights that can come just by seeing other cultures and kind of experiencing things outside your wheelhouse. So get out there and don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid if you don't speak the language. Don't be afraid to trade your passport for a day for a rental motorcycle. These are all things that can be undone. Just be safe and go have your adventures. And I've, honestly, no matter what kind of hole I've dug myself into, I've never regretted it. So yeah, just get out there and dig. My man, Chris Clearman. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please share the Art of Visuals podcast with your friends and make sure to hit that subscribe button. Sharing is caring. You can follow Art of Visuals on Instagram at Art of Visuals or sign up for the Art of Visuals newsletter on artofvisuals.com. Join us next episode for more, but until then, let's continue to visually inspire the world together.